Hello and welcome to Spotty on Shares, folks. Your program covering the main market news of the day for the penultimate time from the soon-to-be-defunct Richmond studio before our move to the new ticker studio at the old Holden site located at Fisherman's Bend. And we're, well, we're still going to answer your questions, though, between now and uh, moving to our new uh, digs. So uh, remember, folks, uh, send us your questions on uh, 0480079089 or you can email us question at spotty.com.au. We always encourage you to go to our website to have a look and see which guests are due to appear on the show next so that you can ask them questions that are relevant to their area of expertise. Um, You already know those uh, details. So again, uh, please, by all means, do send them through when you do have that question that you need solving. Now, our guest is actually running a little late, probably thinking our technical issues were probably going to carry over uh, through to today, but that hasn't been the case. We're currently cooking with gas, which is great. The market, though, continues to be on a very positive tear. Currently, the uh, All Ordinaries, just having a look down on my screen, up 0.63% to 7,322. So uh, positive momentum's returned. It's still the lingering issues of last Wednesday are a bit of concern. There was a big pullback. Everyone thinking the market's due for a bit of sideways action. But at the moment, the tape still says we're in, so we're in. Uh, Let's get into the main market news uh, story of today. And well, they've done it again. The 12th consecutive record half profit for Technology One, who today reported a 48% increase in profit after tax to $28.2 million. They also lifted the dividend by some 10% to 3.82 cents per share. Uh, The result came on the back of strong demand for its global software uh, as a service, uh, otherwise known as SaaS, uh, ERP, their ERP solution. So uh, yeah, good result there uh, because you know the stock's been traveling sideways for quite some time. The market tends to feel a little bit skeptical about technology one for whatever uh, reason, but TNE has continued to show the lights out and it continues to deliver the goods and it is having a very good day today if I call them up on screen. Uh, in a moment. Okay, so next uh, topic that we have is uh, the property market is booming. Well, people are paying above the odds for a a knockout in Baronia, so it's not surprising there. So why should it be any different for stocks related to the sector? Well, Simic Residential Investments, which is a subsidiary of the Simic Group, will today acquire all the shares in Divine that it doesn't already own at a price of some 24 cents per share. Now that is a 100% premium so uh, to what uh, it would last traded at, which is quite interesting. I suppose uh, you know these properties are all going above reserve at the moment for a total outlay of $15.6 million, which is only a very, very small amount of money, but nonetheless, so uh, very good for those shareholders. Uh, currently that stock's 23 and a half cents up, uh, up 95%. Uh, just for the record, technology one, uh, a little bit flat after the initial bounce by the look of it, it's come back to the pack. Uh, now down 0.22% uh, at the moment to $8.97. An interesting business, Viva Energy, code VVA, or not Viva Energy, sorry, Viva Leisure, I should say, the wrong uh, Viva. Um, VVA has provided an update to market telling us that they expect revenue to be in the range of some $81 to $83 million, with EBITDA to increase by some 32 to and uh, 41%. Now, Margins are expected to improve though from 15.5% to a range of 165 to 175 However, I dare suggest that the franchisees might have something to say about that. Uh, if Adele Ferguson is correct, of course, in the AFR, the great investigative journalist there in our trade, uh, currently saying that there's a bit of a spat going on with regards to franchises and uh, what they're actually <laughs> and what they actually are getting from uh, Viva Leisure, and therefore there could be a bit of a battle looming now. I don't want to obviously uh, freak anyone out, but you know that the recent history of franchises dealing with their bosses 
can uh, go quite well, I suppose, when you get someone like a Domino's Pizza, um, or they can go very, very badly, like they have with the Retail Food Group, which, yes, is actually still trading uh, at seven cents, if you can believe that. Uh, don't know who would buy that stock, but nonetheless, it's still going. Uh, we also got to news today that soft tissue regeneration firm Aroa has reported a slight increase in sales for the year. Now, uh, for the record though, their uh, second half was a pretty strong result. Um, they actually said that that gives them confidence to lift their sales targets for next year to some 30 to 33 million US dollars. Um, this will help them get to uh, those targets, but to do that, they're going to invest more in the sales force, which can get them there, which is likely to mean that EBITDA will be negative for next year. Now, um, that doesn't matter though, the market's happy about that top line growth, the stock up currently 3.8% today. Uh, so unfortunately, we don't have our guest at the moment, which is Richard Hemming from Under the Radar Report. We hope to get him on shortly, I sincerely hope. But we will get into answering your questions. And remember, of course, we can't take into account your objectives, financial situations or needs. So therefore, you need to consider that, consider all this information in light of your own personal circumstances. Past performance is no indicator of future performance, of course. Um, and uh, we do hold an interest in shares, including myself. I try to disclose that as best I can when I'm on the show. But in the cut and thrust of stock discussion, sometimes I forget. Feel free to contact me directly in order to get a further understanding as to whether I hold an interest in a particular stock uh, that is being discussed. Um, and I want to start with a special thank you also to uh, young Anton. Um, who uh, wanted to share his investment strategy with me and how he applies a fundamental overlay to his technical analysis course strategy. It's always great to read what our spotters are doing out there and I hope it even helped you, Anton, getting it down on paper because I think one of the things that I've found over the many years is that if I can write down my investment strategy on a piece of paper or virtual piece of paper being an email, of course, um, and actually explain it to someone, then I know that's a very effective way of helping me stay on track. All right then, so I just want to go into um, uh, stocks at the moment. Uh, I'll get into my little questions here. Uh, the first one uh, that I do have here is from, uh, where are we? There we are. Uh, young Craig, who wants to know about Kena Securities, KSL. Well, Kena have dreams of becoming the next Macquarie of the Pacific, really. They're a financial services company servicing the needs of the Pacific region from the financial perspective. And they have quite strong fundamentals, actually, to boot, which is also pleasing. It's a, a stock that's been discussed on this program before. A big shout out and hello to you, Philip, um, who brought it to our attention in the early days. It recently bought Westpac, uh, Westpac's Pacific business, and it all looked rosy. Then, of course, COVID hit and PNG um, has uh, suffered. Uh, on the back of that, it went on a bit of a slide. That was until their uh, EGM, uh, which was to ratify the acquisition. And the chairman at that EGM presentation confirmed that it expects Westpac's, the, the acquisition of the Westpac business, to be earnings accretive and that it will return to October 2020 levels quickly. So price rebound, pullback slightly. It's on a forecast yield of 10%. Um, and the year after, it's on a forecast yield of 16%, if you can believe that. No franking credits, though, because it's not taxed in Australia. Uh, there's only one analyst covering the stock, so, though. So always make sure you keep that uh, front of mind when it comes to uh, making a uh, decision as to whether you're going to hold that business there, Craig. But it is one that does look very good on the numbers. Another one that looks very good on the numbers that's had a very much a stunning um, uh, performance on the market prior to the uh, uh, prior to a listing as an IPO quite recently and having delivered quite well, fan of one of our regular favourites, which is Ron Shamgar, of course, um, that Dusk Group, DSK is their code. Now, uh, young, um, just having a look, Steve, 
was the one who asked about it and wants to know why necessarily the stock's done so well. Well, of course, there's been a return to foot traffic, although you know, I don't know if you heard over the weekend here, but in Victoria, our second largest shopping centre, High Point has had another uh, COVID outbreak. So that'll be interesting. Geez, that'll go well. Um, so I don't know how that will uh, quite go. But with regards to uh, Dusk, though, it's actually performing quite well. I mean, we're talking about a very strong cash accretive business. It beat IPO forecast, which was also really pleasing or was on track to, um, to beat those IPO forecasts. This in contrast, of course, to poor old Newix, which went the other way and missed, which is, of course, a cardinal sin, as we all know. Uh, in this instance here, they're definitely um, doing much better than that they are. Expected to pay a fully franked uh, dividend of sitting around that six odd percent mark. They're spinning cash quite strongly. Their growth, their, their uh, store rollout strategies are going well. Online is also gaining traction. So DSK is definitely on the good books, but you don't need me to tell that. You can see that in the share price. It's had an incredibly strong run. So from a technical perspective, if you're wondering when the party may very well end, um, there will be a key level of support, I dare suggest, at around, just having a look at my charts here, at around the $3.26 uh, mark. That was a previous uh, all-time peak, and it was also the point of this recent pullback, or very close to recent pullback there. Um, so therefore, there's going to have to be some traction there. Always hard on a stock like this when it's only just recently listed to actually form levels um, in regards to that. But nonetheless, though, it's um, uh, one that's still looking quite good. If it is able to at least come back a little bit, and then if it breaks up, back or comes at least very close to its all-time highs, which sit around the $3.65 mark, then you're looking at an opportunity there, I dare suggest, if you haven't already taken a position, Steve. But if you have, I don't think there's any immediate need for you to be concerned. Um, it is absolutely done quite well. Um, another stock that's uh, actually done really, really well that was brought to our attention by um, by one of our viewers at uh, Spotty is a company by the name of Field Solutions Holding. Now, that is FSG for those of you playing along at home. Interesting little business providing telecommunication services to the rural areas and the harder to reach um, places of the world. But when you have a look at their fundamentals, they really actually do look um, quite good. Now, there is a bit of a history in regards to this stock on this show, as I um, dare suggest. Uh, you know, uh, if I remember correctly, I think it was Chris who brought it to our attention. Then Michael got on the back of that and made 50% of that in a month, and he was really happy with us. And now Craig is actually asking about it as a stock. So it's now gone into uh, profitable territory, which is uh, really quite good. I think got a return on equity here of sitting at around six but it is rising from that base. It has had a bit of a pullback from its uh, recent all-time highs, which isn't too far, 16 and a half cents, currently sitting at 14 um, at a half cents. They did make a, uh, oh, they did win a uh, particular contract with the federal government in regards to uh, rural tech, uh, telecommunication support for the value, I think my memory serves me right around $20 million, which is pretty big cheese in regards to this. So in terms of its numbers, they look quite good. There was concern initially when uh, we first talked about it quite, quite a while back now, I think it was back at about eight cents or something like that, that uh, you know the pace of growth was moderating somewhat and therefore it would be a challenge for them to achieve the uh, positive rate that they have. But this $20 million kick shows that they're onto something good. Um, it's a stock that I bought on the back, <laughs> back of the uh, initial uh, bringing to our attention by Chris. Um, Chris Batchelor was on the show as well at the time. Hopefully he got in as well, my partner in Shine. 
Um, and look, it's one that we're happy, well, I am anyway, happy to continue to hold um, as well too. And yeah, look, telecommunications is a space I really like, as you know, uh, with regards to Spirit, as well as um, UWL, Unity, um, Unity Group now they're called. Um, and yes, you can throw in uh, FSG in there as well, which is also um, another one um, that I do uh, like here. Um, Kevin has asked me, just wondering what your thoughts on Woolworths, uh, what the what your thoughts are on the company now, given their demerger uh, with the Endeavour Group. Uh, and uh, he's going to be receiving, of course, one Endeavour share for every Woolworths share that he holds. Look, I was a fan of the split um, from a theoretical perspective because it means that the ESG, the uh, environmental and social governance type funds are able to jump onto the back of it now, had been giving Woolworths a bit of a wide berth because of the fact that, um, you know, of course, with all the gaming uh, assets and the liquor, of course, they were uh, worried that, uh, you know, scourges on society and therefore couldn't actually uh, physically invest in those businesses. But I mean, from um, the ESG side, it makes them a more attractive um, investment proposition now. Uh, just having a look at their uh, little price today, once uh, it uh, catches up on my screen here, I uh, don't know where it's this year to. Okay, no, we'll uh, find that in a moment. Uh, but in regards to, uh, so why am I a little wary? Why am I not as excited as I would normally have been if I had heard that there was a complete clean uh, divestment of this one? Well, quite simply, it's because they're still going to be owning 15% of this business when eventually it does hit the ball. So the question will be, Kevin, what they do with that 15% interest in Endeavor once it does uh, actually come online. I suspect they will be looking to sell that particular interest down. I think Endeavor is a good bunch of assets, um, good quality assets that are defensive in their, in their very nature and therefore um, you know, could make a definite sense to have within a well-documented portfolio. Of course, you are gonna get a dilution in regards to Woolworths share price. Um, its uh, share price has done really, really well in recent times. It's uh, coming back to that 42 odd uh, dollar level mark. Hopefully it can break through that because that would be um, quite good in the lead up to the demerger. The market obviously is a fan of it, but the only thing I worry about is it may not necessarily get that ESG kick because of its remaining interest. Of course, the Matheson organization, the ALH, who they partnered as part of that deal to get into it in the first place, um, they're actually going to uh, still be involved and they're not going to be, um, they're going to still maintain a 15% interest as well. Hopefully you're not getting too bored, folks, by the fact of uh, uh, me going through all these sessions. Unfortunately, we did lose our <laughs> guests. And yes, thank you very much, Mike, for the uh, word of support in my ear there. Um, I'll always get you back. There was a stock um, question for Joe that he did have for Richard, um, which was in regards to Pacific Group, and the code is PAC. And basically, he says that he heard Richard talk about it once before, um, and he was wondering whether Richard still liked it. Obviously, in the you know that financial advice space, I think they've got something like ten or so uh, dealerships in regards to PAC. Um, just having a look at their share price here, doing okay today, uh, up another one point one percent today. The forecast dividend yield is really what everyone gets excited about with regards to PAC. But I think it's important to note, though, that one of my key rules when it comes to investing in companies, Joe, for dividend is that I need to see them expect to increase that dividend. And the only way that they're going to do that is if they get a lift in earnings or if they get a lift in cash flow. And unfortunately, in regards to the earnings per share expectations, with regards to PAC, 
Um, just having a look here, there's one analyst that covers the stock. It is expected to retract some 30 odd percent. And then we're expecting um, the next year after, come June 22, um, to only be 7% growth. Um, the dividend though is expected to remain uh, flat, I think, by the time the next one comes around for the June annual. So the uh, annual will be the same as the interim. That sits at 9.12%, including the franking credits. If you exclude the franking credits, it sits at 6.39% and is expected to increase to 9.6% over the next period. But from as a rule of thumb, generally, when I look at the income stocks, I want to see them grow their earnings because that increases their propensity to lift dividends into the future. And sometimes I'm actually willing to take a haircut on the size of the dividend in order to actually invest um, into that uh, business to hopefully get the, the hockey stick growth because of course it becomes exponential growth eventually when you get 10% on 10% on 10% you get those state rises up particularly if you get in at an earlier price um, whereas when you get companies with stayed dividends and stayed earnings I should say then you know the share price either goes sideways or down and yes your yield still remains attractive but then you know, your yield goes up a few extra percent but you've lost 20% in capital value and really that doesn't work in my favor as well so it's uh, yes it looks like a pure income play by its definition but is it one I would necessarily get into? No, I would want to see some evidence that uh, at the very least they're going to be arresting that short-term um, trend that they've had. And also there's a question in regards to you know how you go with wealth management firms. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I've always had a natural aversion. When they're doing the same thing I'm doing every day, why would I necessarily invest my money in that one there? When two things, one, I'm doing the same thing, and two, I think I can do it better, but we'll just keep that between ourselves, folks. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, so good dividend, looks stable and reasonable, but I prefer to see the underlying earnings support to come through in order to back it. Angus has asked a really good question. Notice that Rio was down for the last few days and also the other iron ore miners. And um, he's reading reports that the early stockpiling um, that had been occurring in China might actually hurt future demand for iron ore. So is the top in? What a really good question. Um, of course, we've talked about this topic on the program before, I've at least mentioned it in passing, that you know when you get this rampant buying of iron ore in the commodity cycle, be it iron ore or whatever base metal, whatever the case may be, inevitably it's because someone's stockpiling something. Now, the two reasons they stockpile are one, because they expect such a cracking boom that they know that they're gonna need the stuff, so they go for it now rather than waiting in queue for everyone's few pittance when eventually it um, does eventually hit the market. Or two, they're doing something geopolitical or playing funny buggers with the stuff, which don't worry, folks, has happened many, many times before. This would not be the first case that China has played with that, as I discussed yesterday with regards to rare earths. So this stockpiling eventually would have had to have come to an end, and we're starting to see that now. So the aggressive nature of the buying is starting to ease somewhat, and we're seeing that reflected in the iron ore price. Therefore, there has been a pullback in iron ore prices in recent times, and we've seen that hit and flow through to the iron ore stocks. So does this mean the end is nigh? Well, if you look at the levels of iron ore that the Chinese are consuming at the moment, you would assume that they're feeding it to their children because seriously, how on earth can you be chewing that much iron ore and getting through it all? But they are. And I think that is really the underlying message here that whilst you know that peak buying that we saw where I was hearing rumors that you know people were paying 50 to $100 more on the spot price just to ensure they could actually gain it when they needed it. There was some crazy stuff occurring in the iron ore space. 
Um, now that that has uh, appeared to at least uh, ease and pull back somewhat, then from that perspective, um, I think, yeah, I think the top's in in regards to our all-time record highs. Do I think this is necessarily going to be a 50% correction? Well, no, no, I don't. I think it will hold up okay. Um, I think uh, we will be fine. I think the Chinese still need our iron ore, uh, notwithstanding the geopolitical issues that are happening at the moment. And I think there'll be plenty other more strategic and I suppose um, assets that are less crucial to their uh, ongoing development than iron ore. Iron ore at the moment is absolutely key and therefore I continue to remain um, positive and supportive, but it doesn't mean that they can't have a pullback. It's just markets behaving normally, commodity cycles behaving normally, and I think that's what's been occurring um, in the iron ore space. So hopefully, Angus, uh, that gives you a little bit of clarity there. Um, an interesting one that did come through on the same sort of note in regards to sectors, so I'll just call their chart up at the moment um, while I'm talking to you. The, um, uh, it comes from Carl, and he wanted to know our view in regards to oil and what is occurring in the oil space, which is obviously a pretty interesting um, sort of caper at the moment because it's actually been going uh, like the gangbusters. So I'm just going to uh, call them up at the moment. We know, of course, what's happening with the EV revolution and everyone moving to electric vehicles and all that sort of stuff. But really, I think you've, uh, you've definitely seen that uh, oil prices have actually uh, done incredibly well and, in fact, been going up quite strongly. So where do they sit in their current, um, uh, current uh, price cycle once I actually call up their chart? Sorry, folks, as we, we go this uh, on live. Uh, where are we here? I did have it here a second ago. I don't know where it's disappeared. So I'm going to find it the old-fashioned way. There we are. I knew it would be somewhere. Okay, so having a look at the price here, other than, of course, what we saw last year back... This was the unusual thing. <laughs> you know, it was only like about, uh, what was it, about 13 months ago. Many people may not remember it, but the price of crude fell so much that you actually had to pay someone to take it off your hands. It got that cheap. Truly extraordinary circumstances in the future exchange. But if we start looking at the oil price at the moment, it is really at a bit of a critical junction here. If it breaks the $67 US level, the West Texas crude, now I know we tend to more link to Brent with, um, with regards to uh, ours and the, the world, for example. But if we look at West Texas crude, Brent pretty much moving in the same way. If it breaks through that 67, we are possibly heading to some new, um, new highs. And that level there, I could, uh, could suggest just uh, very quickly here. Geez, that next level could be at around the 75 to 76 dollar mark. So obviously there's a lot of things to play out here in regards to OPEC and what it wants to do. There's a lot playing out on that geopolitical um, space at the moment. I see uh, not that it's necessarily related, but Belarus is playing funny buggers with journalists and how that could then spread through the region. You know, these things can um, catch on like contagion. So it could be interesting there. Depending, um, uh, you know, it's now summertime though in the Northern Hemisphere. So that traditionally you'll see a bit of an easing in regards to that. But if it's able to hold um, quite solidly and it can break that 67 level, it could be hitting um, that 75, which is a level not last seen since, just having a look here, uh, since September um, in 2018. So it's definitely a good time for the oil cycle uh, at the moment. And uh, fingers crossed our Australian producers are able to, uh, to benefit um, from, uh, from that. Um, just having a quick uh, little look here. Uh, I've talked about that. We've talked about that question there. See, normally I have my guest here so I can prepare my next question in regards to um, what I'm actually uh, going to ask, whereas I haven't had that 
today. But hopefully you've uh, enjoyed the general candor of what's uh, been occurring at the moment. Actually, you know what, why don't we go to, given it's only five minutes to go, why don't we go to the Shine the Light segment, which is of course uh, where I get to talk about two stocks that um, you know I currently like. And uh, you can go toddle off and do your own research and see whether you align with those investment objectives and of course, uh, tolerance to risk. And the first stock that I want to talk about is BetMakers, B-E-T. It's a stock I've discussed on this program before. Um, talked about it a number of times. It continues um, to crack all-time highs and uh, it continues to keep doing that. Now, I know a lot of people obviously are a little bit worried with regards to what's occurring uh, on its price level because you are paying up to play in regards to this. The odds are fairly skinny at the moment. But nonetheless, though, it is, it, it's a pure infrastructure play. It doesn't, you know, I like these, particularly in regards to when I, um, you know, think of, uh, you know, now Charter Hall, Childcare, uh, Arena Reed as well, um, you know, all those sorts of things. You don't necessarily need to run the thing yourself. You just got to build the back end and let the traffic pass and run on it for you. And in the instance of uh, bet, bet makers have been doing the same. Now they have been going into becoming more of a top-down holistic vertical um, approach for someone. So if I decide after this show that you know uh, it's too hard getting guests and I'll go and start up my own gambling pit, well, I can just go talk to bet makers and they'll basically get me going um, at the drop of a hat. Hmm, maybe that's a business idea. Anyway, um, nonetheless, so they've been doing quite well. A number of strong acquisitions as well as business development means that uh, our valuation, which we sort of hit back when it was 60 cents. We said it would be around $2. It's making its way or chugging its way um, in along there. Nothing has changed that narrative. It's getting there a lot quicker than what we initially thought, but I suppose that's the age of the uh, modern internet um, as it were. So uh, Betmakers is one of those stocks that uh, I've got on the uh, definitely on the list that we uh, have a look at. Another one which has been a really interesting one, disappointing to say the least. It's one, again, that I've talked about on this program before, but I think its price is offering compelling value relative to the risk that you've got on the downside. Um, and that's Narada, the code is NYR. Now I know you'd have to be patient if you're holding this because it's been a pretty torrid ride in recent times. It shows a lot of promise, price goes up and then it goes down. It's got one of those Mount Fuji uh, pop and drop type patterns as we like to talk about. Stock went up to a high of around 44 cents. It then subsequently has now retraced back to 29 cents, which is pretty key because I had a capital raising recently and they offered shares um, at around that price as well. So the theory is generally if you do get a sell um, through that, that uh, you would um, see a, um, a bit more of a retracement on the back of that. But um, I believe the players that got uh, joined in as part of this capital raise in regards to Narada are in, in it for the long term. I think this will be a somewhat of a flaw in regards to its price in the short term. And obviously it's cholesterol candidate as well as it's um, a concussion ca um, candidate in regards to uh, restricting brain injury when initially the first strike has occurred, you basically have their drug inserted into you and it reduces the swelling on your brain, which causes the pressure and then um, the ongoing issues beyond that. I think it's a great technology. I think both of them do really, uh, both the, uh, the cholesterol and the brain injury are great um, candidates. And therefore, because of that, you'll want to see them eventually hit the market with that. When they do, and once they get through their phase trials, I think you know you can write your own book in regards to this. They are also going through another side, a few little side uh, gimmicks on the side there, but I think with a strong uh, board, a strong shareholder base now, that if it can hold these particular levels right here, I think it uh, could be due for another run. So if you're wanting to get some more confidence that maybe this short-term weakness 
was over, you could possibly wait till it crossed back above the 36 cent mark. Um, then if you uh, do that, that was a, a recent high, a higher high that we saw uh, back at the end of April. This price has come back since then. If it is able to stop and then rise and then cross back above that 36 cent mark with the good, um, good candidates that they've got, I think it's a uh, worthy consideration to uh, include in your portfolio if you have the risk appetite for it because of course it could go all pear-shaped and go the other way. Well, that's all we have time for on Spotting our penultimate episode. A rather nice justice that I did it on my own, but tomorrow I know I'll definitely get Stuart Roberts from Stocks Down Under. He'll join us on the program in order to yeah, take us through his view on the world. Now, you know his expertise is in small caps as well, particularly really interesting stories. He takes it from a top-down approach. So he likes looking at sectors and then he finds the good little stories that occupy within that. So if there's a stock you thought that no one would know about, he could very well be the man for you. So email your question, question at spotty.com.au or text us 0480 079 089 um, and Stuart will be ready. Search him on social media, he's out there quite a bit. So if there's a stock that you hear him mention there, then maybe ask him for a follow-up commentary on the episode then. Until tomorrow, folks, which will be the last episode from uh, glorious uh, Richmond, we will lose a little bit of glamour when we disappear. I've been Elio D'Amato, you've been watching the new Spotty, and together we've been shining the spotlight on shares. calling it the Asian century, the center of global growth, geopolitical tensions, and the cities of the future. Ticker News is on the ground, keeping you in the know. Live every day with the newsmakers and the breaking news. 